0: Hello there, this is Mark Bauerlein with another conversation. Before we get to it, a word about one of our sponsors. Located in the foothills of Wyoming's spectacular Wind River Range, Wyoming Catholic College, an accredited four-year Great Books Institution, is built on the ancient Western tradition of the liberal arts and the freedom of the American West. The college offers its students an immersion in the primary sources of the classical tradition, the grandeur of the mountain wilderness, and the spiritual heritage of the Catholic Church. Students experience the illumination of imagination and intellect through the great books and traditional disciplines, literature and philosophy, mathematics and theology, science and Latin, and an outdoor program second to none. The college celebrated an in-person graduation with its seniors last year and welcomed its largest freshman class ever this year, Learn more about the college's unique space in the world of American higher education at wyomingcatholic.edu. Uh, we have a guest today who is thoroughly unknown to First Things readers. They've never seen his name before. His name is Wilfred McClay. Sometimes he goes by Bill McClay. Oh, no, 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 wait a minute. I have, no, no, he he actually was our 2021 Erasmus lecturer, <laughs> which was published in the magazine. Bill's been with us before to discuss a few things he often appears in the magazine. We're often happy to have him whenever we can. His lecture on the uh, Erasmus was called The Claims of Memory. Uh, He is now Professor of History at Hillsdale College, holding also the Victor Davis Hanson Chair of Classical History and Western Civilization at Hillsdale. Uh, Among his many publications, first big book was The Masterless uh, Masterless Self and Society in Modern America. And we also have Uh, A textbook that came out a few couple of years ago entitled Land of Hope, an Invitation to the Great American Story, which we discussed before. Uh, Now uh, we have a new edition of that volume, a, quote, young reader's edition. That version is our topic today. Welcome, Bill.
1: Great to be with you, Mark. And I I have emerged from the cave of my obscurity for this occasion. Uh, And uh, (laughs) I'm, I'm happy to see the light. <laughs> the brilliant light that
0: is first things. I'm I, I'm I'm still searching for that light, but but yes. you know life goes on. Uh, now you you tell us first of all about the first book. How did you come ever to come? I mean, you are you're, you're a distinguished historian. You're operating at those frontiers of research, as they say, uh, and have been for a long time. How did you ever come to writing a book for high school students? And and then tell us for this young version. Uh, what what age group or what grade levels would you gear that toward? So two questions there.
1: Yeah, yeah. For the first, I I I really had to be coerced into it in the end. Uh, that I I had been concerned for a long time about uh, what, as you put, it, the frontiers of knowledge. What the the concentration of the discipline on the periphery and the neglect of the core. I like that particular image also. Um, was doing to the public sense of American history, the public sense of the American past, what, um, and particularly what were young people learning. Um, uh, but not only the young people, but I have children of my own, so I obviously was concerned about that, but, uh, but the public in general. The, the, was our sense of American history so completely fragmented as our politics has become? that there's no common story uh, to look back to. And, uh, and I always had the, the sense that it wasn't that there wasn't a common story. It was that we were no longer looking for it. We were actually looking for ways to deconstruct that, the common story. Complicated, endlessly complicated, which is sort of what academic life is all about. Take the simple, and make it complicated. Um, that's a somewhat. Um, facetious statement, but only somewhat. Uh, anyway, so I I, um, I wrote I've written a number of things over the years, articles and uh, and such that both in scholarly and and general interest publications, complaining about this and and actually I have some allies uh, who are more on the left than I am uh, who making Thomas Bender of NYU making similar complaints about we no longer had a usable public history, usable sense of the past. Um, And finally, um, when the, uh, I'll just try to make this quick, that when the the College Board, which does the AP exams, revised their standards in 2014 in a really outrageous way, taking out uh, mention of the Constitution, the Constitutional Convention, the ratification debates, um, the founders, You know, and and turning it into basically uh, the study of American history and an exercise in transatlantic economics, heavily concentrating on the slave trade, Um, a number of us thought, "Well, this has gone way too far," and uh, we wrote a letter. I actually wrote the letter, but um, it's it was presented as a product of a a number of people uh, to the College Board, an open letter saying, "Please." change your standards back, and this is why your new standards are bad. And for the most part, they did, without ever acknowledging the letter, roll it back, but um, they, um, the, the problem was um, that the textbooks were already geared toward the new standards, and that was not going to be easy to do anything about. Plus, it was very clear that the College Board was not really uh, rebuked uh, they were just delayed in tactics that we would then see with the European history exam, which is very leftist and, and really was no pushback on that. The way there was, our letter was signed by about 200 people, um, as I recall, um, so a very distinguished people. So I think the College Board had to respond. But we were left with this textbook problem. And, um, you know, had people start saying to me, well, you know, um, we need a new textbook. And I would say, yes, I hope you find someone, because I sure wasn't going to do it. Uh, that's just career suicide, uh, as you know better than anybody, because uh, you, you had a, a very good, very distinguished academic career and publishing all kinds of very um, erudite and, and, uh, and enduringly valuable monographs, including something on Whitman, by the way, since you mentioned Whitman. Um, but um, Roger Kimball talked me into it. He hit me up on a Sunday afternoon when my defenses were down, and I said I would do it for for Encounter Books. And part of my reasoning was an Encounter. I knew I would not be severely edited. I knew that a manuscript would not have to pass through the hands of a thousand different stakeholders. The the you know the representatives of the Lithuanian coal miners union said so, <laughs> we aren't represented in this text. You need we need something about the Lithuanian coal miners. And so so I knew I wouldn't have to be subjected to that and I wasn't. The book is almost entirely, for better or worse, me, with very little intervention, almost none really from the publisher. Um, so I got to tell American history in a way that it isn't being told. Um and it's obviously a more favorable view. The land of hope is not exactly a, a, a signal for a pessimistic view. Um, and uh, it, it, it is um, it's very reader friendly. It's meant to be. It's, it's, I'm not trying to impress my colleagues in the academy with how much I know uh, and how many facts I can cram into one paragraph. Um, it's really meant for people to read with pleasure and profit, ordinary people. And obviously, I mainly intended it for the kind of students, juniors, rising seniors uh, who are, um, or, sorry, rising juniors uh, or seniors who are about to take the AP U.S. History exam and to prepare them. So uh, that was really my target audience. It's ended up having a much bigger audience. A lot of people our age read it and say, "This I never got this. I, I never, I never knew about this. It, it's all I knew about was slavery and Indian removal. That, that's how I thought the sum total of American history was. And and I have, especially slavery. I I, I could have done more with Indian removal. I I, I think, but the slavery uh, is very extensively and subtly treated in the book. But I had to make it accessible. I couldn't. Uh, so that was the challenge of the book, of writing the book. Now, uh, the book that we're here to talk about today was Take That, and that book has been very successful.
0: Well, let, let um, me ask. Go ahead. So you're getting a lot of school adoptions of it's, of the original it, yes, book. Yes, I,
1: I can't tell you exactly how many. We don't, um, we don't have that kind of record keeping with Encounter, which is not a, an educational publisher of educational books. So this was... The downside of going with them, and and I'm I'm not saying anything I haven't said to them, is that this this was a learning curve. They're learning how to do this, and plus, Mark, you know, there's this burgeoning market of homeschoolers and independent schools that are that are off the charts so far as the big you know, Pearson and outfits like that are concerned. They're not. They don't even know how to reach homeschoolers. Uh, I actually do know something about that. Um, I don't have the hours in the day to do it all, but uh, I can advise uh, the publisher and, if, and we, we, uh, we're we going to try with this new uh, young readers edition to do a better job of that. But yeah, we are getting school adoptions and, yeah. and uh, I follow up anybody who's listening to this, who is associated with the school, leader the teacher, administrator, parent, contact me uh, at H- Hillsdale. My address is on the website. And uh and I'll uh, follow up personally. That's I've done a lot of that. Um, it's just very re- retail, entirely retail. I the wholesale mm-hmm. is beyond me, but the retail I can do. Well, um, and I may I've connected with a lot of schools that way. Now, it's an enormous task. Uh, but I want to say one more thing. And uh, is that I've got a lot of feedback from people saying I love this book. It's a little too difficult for my sixth grader. Um how have you thought about doing an edition uh, <clears throat> for young young people for middle schoolers, basically, and maybe even some very bright late primary? Uh, but um, and no, we hadn't thought about it. But uh, the more we thought about it, the more we liked the idea. So so I did it. It's it's in two volumes rather than one, and it is. Uh, uh, I tell you, and you know this because you write very you yourself write very well for the general public. It's a real discipline to say, how can I say this without using jargon, without uh, introducing concepts that are, would take too long to explain to a young, young reader? How can I make the essence of this clear in plain language? It's a tremendously exacting discipline. People don't know how hard it is to write simply and well. So that's what my task was with this, was to try to um, do what I could to, re- to, be reduct- to reduce things without being reductionist, yeah. Yeah. to simplify without being simplistic.
0: Let's pause for a moment to ask if you were looking for a Catholic university where the greatest works of Western and Catholic tradition are the foundation for learning, all in an environment that is faithful to the magisterium. That's the University of Dallas in Irving, Texas. Recommended by the Cardinal Newman Society, the university offers an exceptional liberal arts education with undergraduate and graduate programs in arts and sciences, business, and ministry, as well as a campus in Rome, Italy, all of them preserving the wisdom of the past while preparing students for world-changing futures. Academically excellent, always faithful. Apply today at udallas.edu. You you know, the... The movement, the homeschoolings, the, the, the independent schoolings, the classical education, yes. parents uh, like that. I mean, I would say for, for two reasons relative to the history issue, you mentioned the uh, incessant focus on American crimes and sins and victimization, imperialism, slavery, and, and so on. Uh, that, again, if, if we want to talk just in terms of emphasis, it's way overdone in so many of the textbooks yeah. that get assigned in the schools and uh, bill i i look at you know young people 16 17 years old they're they're getting older they're starting to have a bigger sense of time of the past and of their the future it's personal for them but also they're they're starting to think about the world and when you hand them a volume that tells them you know your country isn't so good. It it really has a lot to be ashamed of in the past. The victimization, the the denial of rights. Again, it just comes off as harping to to them. Yeah, and then we wonder, then we wonder why uh, the the test scores in U.S. history are so low, right? I mean, was was yeah. that a conscious? Were you thinking of the mind of the 16-year-old American as you composed the book?
1: Yes. Yes, I was. And and I I, I will tell you, uh, this is especially true in the Young Reader's Edition, but it was true in the other. Um, someone, uh, I can say who it is, it's a, it's a friend of mine named Harry Ballin, who's a lawyer in New York, but a wonderful, wonderful, brilliant man in many ways, um, he... Uh, found out about what I was doing and invited me to have a meal with them in in Washington. And he said, you know, I, I believe that if a young person is taught that he lives under a bad regime, he, it has an effect on his soul. And I, you know, that sounds like a very simple idea. I had never thought about it that way. I'd never thought of it that we are uh, without always being aware of it and I'll come back to that uh, some people are very aware of what they're doing but others are not but we're injecting a kind of poison uh, into the souls of our, of our young people and I I am not uh, uh, at all afraid to make a connection between drug abuse suicide rates all of these things that have picked up alarmingly in the last 15 years or so suicides are up Sixty, seventy percent uh, in the in the younger, like under say twenty, between fifteen and twenty-four. Or, uh, I forget the exact age range, but it's something like that. These rates of suicide, drug abuse, opioid abuse, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, um, have been accelerating, and and you know, of course, you can there are many factors, but uh, this sense that I live in a dismal oppressor nation. I'm part of an oppressor class. I'm part of an oppressor race. I have, I'm ashamed of who and what I am. I'm ashamed of my parents, um, of yeah. everything they worked for. This is so poisonous. And uh, after a while, I started talking to my colleagues in history about it. I said, don't, don't you worry about the effect of this on uh, you know, the sort of formation of young people. And they always give the same answer. It's not my problem. That's not that's not my job. It's not my job to think about. That's somebody else's job.
0: Hmm.
1: Well, who's who is thinking about it? Somebody who's doing that job? Nobody's doing that job. Um, and you know, some of the best high school teachers, and I've worked with a lot with high high school teachers, they still labor under the illusion, probably from graduate school, that they're really exciting. Work of history is in deconstructing the past, is in, yeah. is in debunking myths. Yeah. And no, that's only that, that is part of what we do, but it's only a small part of what we do. We also are engaged in a, a heritage in the passing on of a heritage of, a, of shared memories. And memory is what makes a culture. Without memory, you have no culture. Yeah. Um, so that if we, if we obliterate, our sense of connection to the past. We're obliterating the possibilities of having vibrant community and a democratic polity in the future. So uh, I, I, the more I got into this, at first I was just kind of saying, well, yes, we need an alternative to Howard Zinn and the textbooks that are out there. But the more I got into it, the more I kind of became uh, suffused with a sense of mission and uh and that's very much is with these uh these the young readers guides which i think are very good if i say so myself i think they really yeah. do um and we're by the way mark we're for, again for your listeners we're we're um we did a teachers guide and a student workbook to accompany the original land of hope land of hope senior as we call it yeah. uh young readers edition we're doing the same thing i I'm, I'm in the midst yeah of working on the second volume's teacher's guide and then we'll do shortly thereafter the student workbook. So
0: help is on the way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, the 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 those old theorists of deconstruction and dismantling and critique, you know, Foucault and Derrida and the others, you know, they presumed, Bill, that the people who were going to take up the mantle of critique learned all the stuff First, yeah. you know, I mean, you, you can debunk, yes. but you got to learn the bunk first, yeah, and and so then you can begin to examine, to explore, to 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 deconstruct, and 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 so on. But they all presume you went through a kind of classical education, it, so exactly you're doing right. a service, actually, Bill. You you're giving you're giving the kids some some coherence to the past stories. I mean, this was the second thing I was going to say. The textbooks are so boring uh and land of hope isn't it's it's again the, the prose is vivid. You've got good, strong characters, you have good good stories, and that's that's what kids eat up. you know they want to hear about yeah. people doing things and involved in things and changes yes. yes that 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 people undergo in the past. That's what's gonna make them study. they want more. Right, they're they're hungry for a meaningful past. Can we give them one, please? And, and then later yeah. on, you know, when 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 they're in when they, when they're seniors in college, they can begin to question and challenge and and so on. Huh? Yeah,
1: yeah, no, oh, that's right. I I have a funny story on this, and this is I I won't I'll tell you off off the record, uh, uh, but not not on the record who this was. But I I had a colleague at well, I guess I can tell you when it was at Tulane. You'll probably figure out who it was, but it was somebody who was very much a leading figure in uh, sort of literary theory during its great vogue in the '90s. I was just a j- junior assistant professor, and because of children, we got to know one another. we were, you know, couldn't couldn't have been more different in some ways. And but we had breakfast together a lot, and we, one day we had breakfast, and he started complaining about the fact that. Um, he couldn't teach his classes anymore. And I said, what, what do you mean? And he said, well, you know, I've, I've spent my whole career trying to deconstruct the canon. And now I find that students come into my classes, they haven't read the books that I tell them they don't need to read. <laughs> and I said, well, duh, you know, isn't this the goal you've been working for to put yourself out of business? Um, because, you know, if they if they don't read Merchant of Venice anywhere and, and struggle with its problematic aspects and and its brilliances and Porsche's wonderful speech, which everyone should know, um, then what have you got? You know, you it, it, teach phys ed, something that will actually help people. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I, that, that friendship was not just destined to last, but uh, it really revealed to me the utterly... Um, uh, self undoing character of that whole movement of the you know the death of the author the disappearance of the text that you know uh, all of these very very smart very clever um, uh, very uh, au courant uh, uh, and you had to do, deal with all of this directly since you were a literature professor so you know what I'm talking about but um, well you, you,
0: you know bill you, you mentioned sort of the suicidal nature of this, you know, a report came out from the American Historical Association uh, a couple of years ago. Since 2011, uh, the uh, the number of history majors, graduates, mm-hmm. had dropped by about 33 percent, just, just yeah. since 2011. In English, it was in, it was in the low 20s, philosophy in the low 20s. But anyway, it, when they looked at the shift of majors, all the humanities majors, were, the, the kids were voting with their feet. And yes. Yes. They wanted to point to, uh, of course, they're not going to look in the mirror. They want to point to, well, the bad economy makes people choose a more career-oriented major. I, I don't buy that very much. I don't reject it entirely, but I've got to say that part of it has got to be, you know, maybe it's because you guys are such a downer. You know, you're yeah. so, you're so negative about things.
1: Yeah. Well, and history is mostly a negative story. <laughs> you know, and that's part of the problem with teaching American history is that uh, young people don't have enough of a sense of just how dismal <laughs> most of the human past is, and much of the human present, um, to appreciate what 1776 meant. As as uh, you know, uh, I've heard people say, second only to the birth of Christ, <laughs> as a transformative uh, event in human history. Um, and we, you know, we, we should own up to every single one of our failings. Um, but we should also own up to the magnificence of our history. And that, that's what I think is, is missing. I, I have not, uh, in Land of Hope, I don't, I don't uh, try to cover up our faults. No, um, no. Uh, but, but I also try to put them in proper perspective.
0: And, well, you know, I'll, ultimately, I'll, there's
1: a kind of human view of the human person, anthropology, as they say in the theological world.
0: Uh, and and you, you get to that by really, uh, you know, sort of humanizing or dramatizing the story. For instance, you you, you see that approach in what you say about the, the Marbury-Madison, that, that Supreme Court decision. Oh, yeah, And you manage to you explain the case, the circumstances, and the legal reasoning uh, but you begin with Justice Marshall, uh, a man who actually had limited legal yes. experience, who, whose appointment to the court really irritated Thomas Jefferson. Indeed, and but 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 then you proceed to show that this case really showed how this you know curious mix of political rivalries and resentments, and this guy who really had no expectation of being a great jurist's. Turns out to be a great jurist, and you actually yes. make it into a story. Part of the story is of the greatness involved here, and I got yes. I got to think that, that that that's what kids want to hear.
1: Well, and I and that's something. It's actually a sort of buried theme, but you're you're very shrewd to notice this, Mark. That, that I I whenever I can, I try to bring out the extraordinary quality of ordinary people that, that who are given. The opportunity, whether it's Marshall, whether it's Lincoln, whether it's uh, Ulysses Grant, whether it's Harry Truman, there there are an awful lot of uh, people from very humble beginnings, and of course for the, the African Americans' story, Frederick Douglass, Booker T. Washington, on and on and on. These are all people who uh, who begin. Actually, Du Bois is kind of an exception. He has some kind of aristocratic origin, relatively speaking, but. Uh, and from western massachusetts but but uh, but for the most part you have very ordinary people doing extraordinary yeah. things in a well, history. well you,
0: you know in the case of lincoln it it's interesting you you begin by talking about lincoln not in terms of every what we all expect you know the emancipation the the, the war his greatness his martyrdom you actually begin with the election and right after the election highlighting how careful he had to be how 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 ginger in yes. coming into this political situation and what you do you you make the fourteen year old the thirteen year old imagine walking into something that can just overwhelm you uh you 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 can fail you can do a hundred you you've got a hundred and one chances here and 98 of them will bring failure <laughs> if you're yeah. if you so and, and so it, it actually it actually i think that's an effective again an effective beginning for for the youth uh to not jump to uh this is an amazing man yes yes no, exactly you know that's great yeah, i
1: i i really that i feel very successful when you say something like that uh, there's a passage associated with Lincoln in the text. It's in both versions of the book. Uh, it's a little simplified in the Young Reader's Edition, where I talk about the loneliness of leadership at the time of the Civil War. Because, you know, I, I say we, we all think of Lincoln as a hero, but it, was, it wasn't like that. He was despised by, by a great many people, including his own allies, including members of his own cabinet, that uh, and he often had to make decisions in which he couldn't possibly know um, what the outcome was going to be. It, it was enormous risk involved, and and I say the, the following, and I've, I've I've heard from dozens of people about this. This just this passage where I say, you know, this is the way it is in history. You know, it's not like in a movie. There isn't music that swells when you rise to say the unpopular words. There aren't trumpets. There aren't. There. There isn't a kind of sudden influx of light. There. <laughs> it's. Uh, and I try. And when the Puritans land uh, or the Pilgrims land at uh, Cape Cod, um, and they look back at this ocean, you know, I, I. I try to evoke the sense that yeah, they thought they were on a mission from God, but don't you think there were moments when they thought have we lost our minds <laughs> doing this the the boldness, the audacity of what they did yeah. um, so yeah. that that's one of the things I try to try to get in the book is that that uh, it's well you, know, you could say it's lonely at the top in the Lincoln case, but <laughs> make them feel how lonely it is at the top but make them feel that the man that they think is Mr. America is stamped on every coin, every penny they handle and every, you know, uh, all the currency, all the ways you see Lincoln's name and face that he was despised. He was despised and not just by Southerners. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and it, and the, the, the people to his left, his own radical Republicans despised him as much as the Southerners did, uh, arguably. So, uh, because he moved so slowly. Um, you know, his relationship with Frederick Douglass, he's often criticized now, but from the Douglass's point of view that he didn't move fast enough. But you, have, <laughs> it's a very delicate thing yeah. to hold a country together and not just defeat and beat the hell out of one section yeah. in, in favor of another. And so he was always thinking about that, always thinking about that. And again, Look, I, I was just uh, two weeks ago, I was at a I did a week long uh, seminar at, at Yeshiva University, uh, at Orthodox Jewish University in New York, uh, just north of where you are. And, uh, um, and there was a teacher there who said, look, what do I do with 15 year olds to try to give them a sense of the complexity of the past? They they want to say, Thomas Jefferson, thumbs up or thumbs down. They don't want to say thumbs kind of <laughs> wavering back and forth. They don't want to see that heroes can have clay feet and clay clay uh you know legs, uh arms, a whole lot of clay, but still be heroes. And um that's tough. You yeah. know, I uh, i you can give the example, especially with minority kids, but but not only minority kids of Martin Luther King, who turns out to be a man that has some, you know, very troubling aspects to his his personal life, his sexual history. Um, and, you know, some of which people just not wanted to face. Uh, 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 what's your former colleague from David Garrow published this article maybe two years ago about the FBI uh, files on King and videos. Um, and Garrow is wrote one of the best, if not the best biography of king but he felt this information should be out there he couldn't get it published in the united states he had to go to standpoint magazine in england to publish Hmm. this stuff and it's been ignored because people don't want to they don't want to grapple with the fact that a great man um a hero can also have really deplorable aspects and I don't mean to make light of anything that he did or is, is clearly, clearly did. I should say he alleged to have done, but he, he clearly did. Um, uh, but, well, <clears throat> you know, I, I would be adamantly opposed to any effort to sort of pull down his statues or, or um, say he could no longer be a, na- a, a national hero. Probably we need him do. too desperately, but I also think his achievements were real. And you can't, uh, like George Gershwin said, you can't take that away from him. So, uh, <laughs> um, uh, and and you know, I the other argument I use, which sometimes works with kids, because they they have a progressive sort of, uh, template in, the, in their minds about how history runs. And I say, well, what if fifty years from now we have a whole different sensibility about animals, about animal rights, about animal consciousness and souls and so that not only eating meat you know how could you ever have done that you people grandpa how could you ever have done that but even on having pets you know the more radical people do think the domestication of animals which goes back to the roots of settled civilized life even back to hunter gatherers that um, that that itself was a, a kind of sin so it's it's the ultimate sort of self-abnegation to kind of say, say that, but imagine, but imagine that we come to a point, how do you think the people 50 years from now who have that sensibility will look back on you who eat meat, who, you know, have dogs and cats. Um, And that, that actually works. Sometimes it really makes, because they think there's a kind of moral trajectory of moral evolution. Um, and that yeah. animal rights is the logical next thing. You, you just mean like you to choose you know, your gender? It's the logical next thing.
0: The the moral arc doesn't doesn't peak and stop with millennials. <laughs> well, we'll see. It
1: may, maybe if the millennials don't reproduce, that that's uh, we need. Uh, uh, I must tell you, I'm speaking to you from uh, Hillsdale College, and I uh, I just got out of our first faculty meeting, and uh, it, in which, among other things, the president recounts. All the births, it, marriages, and births in the community, and uh, you know here we're experiencing a baby boom, uh, yeah. <laughs> and many, many of the faculty have eight, nine, ten children. It's yeah. quite remarkable. So it's a different culture. Is everything? Well, millennials what's... have been brought up in a culture, and I'm not going to say they bear none of the blame, but they've been brought up in a way that doesn't see being fruitful and multiplying. As a good thing um uh it, it, it it's we're it, part of a debased culture but, you know so in, in a in a groaning earth that cannot support the population it has for very much longer and uh you know uh you have uh a professor at columbia Law School i can't remember his name who wrote this long article in The Atlantic. Justifying his wife, his and his wife's decision to have one child in a period of climate change and um, Purdy, Jedediah Gen- Gen- Purdy, is his
0: name. Oh, brother!
1: Uh, it's the most ludicrous thing by, by a very brilliant and serious man, but fundamentally ludicrous.
0: Yeah. Um, uh, well, what 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 we need is a a better historical understanding, which is what your books do, Bill. No, uh, okay. so, the the volume is land of hope an invitation to the great american story young readers edition professor mcclay thank you for joining us
1: thank you mark it's always a pleasure
0: and thank you for listening to our conversation which has been supported by wyoming catholic college which combines great books the catholic tradition and the great outdoors of the american west into an extraordinary education go to wyomingcatholic.edu or contact the admissions office at 877 332 2930.